Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, it's Friday, September the 27th, and you're very welcome to the Mick Clifford Podcast. Every week, this podcast will bring you a slice of current affairs that you might find engaging and informative. We look at the big stories of the week. And we also hope to delve into some of the off-agenda stories that we've featured in the Irish Examiner and bring you our unique interpretation of those stories. Today, I'm joined by Paul McCormick Cooney, who's a member of the environmental group Extinction Rebellion. You're welcome to the podcast, Paul. Thank you very much, Mick. Paul, what is Extinction Rebellion? Um, Extinction Rebellion is... Um I like to think of it as kind of a, a, a citizens activist group. Um, they were formed in um, April of last year in the UK um, and then kind of um, had their first action in London um, in November last year where they blocked five bridges um, across the Thames. Um, and then from there, we were kind of set up in Ireland around that time. Um, and then I myself joined in, in February and, and and really what it is, I think, is kind of there's lots of people around the country and around the world who um, realize that we're in a seriously bad situation and they don't know what to do. And we've been looking and waiting for our leaders to do something on it. And we've seen their government, their, their plans, we've seen the, the, the actions that they're taking and we see how they, they don't align with the science and what the scientists are telling us. So it's kind of Extinction Rebellion is kind of the place where people are coming together to put their heads together and try and figure out what can we do to actually change things in a way that's, that's going to save the future for our kids. And one of, one of your principal tactics is civil disobedience in various forms. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the kind of the traditional writing letters to your TDs and signing petitions hasn't been working. Um, so the tactic then is to kind of step it up a notch, cause disruption, shut down business as usual. And, and like a big part of that is also about getting people who haven't engaged with what's going on to actually pay attention. Because like, we're in an emergency. We've declared a climate emergency in the UK and we've declared a climate emergency here, but the Taoiseach came out and said that it's only a symbolic emergency, whatever that means. Um, but when you look out the window, you can't see people acting like it's an emergency. So Extinction Rebellion are doing that. We're acting like it's an emergency. We're trying to say to people, look, this is serious. We're in serious trouble here. And, and we're putting ourselves on the line to communicate to you and to actually get the government to do some of the things that are needed. Okay, and that, to that end, you have as part of a wider international um, action uh, plans to disrupt Dublin city centre for a week from October 7th. That would be Monday week. That's Monday week, yeah. And like... I, I suppose on one level you're not, you're not going to give me specifics because part of civil disobedience is, is, is the element of surprise. But in general, if you give me specifics, I'll be thrilled. But could you give me a general idea of what that will involve? 
Um, we're going to shut down um, a central location in Dublin city centre. Um, we hope to have, we're, we're not exactly sure how many people are going to be involved, um, but certainly hundreds, um, and we, we would hope thousands. There, there are buses coming in from all over the country. Um, we've been self-organising, um, mostly online, um, and we've had like lots of people joining us from, from all over. And, and, and people are coming, to, like in, in, in all over the world, this is happening. Um, and people are traveling to their capital cities, to the center of power, to, to shut um, the cities down. How many, when you say all over the world, roughly, do you know how many countries are involved in this? Um, I think like there was, uh, I'm, I'm not exactly sure. Um, I think there's new places joining us all the time, but I think it's around 150. Right. Right, it's considerable. No, when you say shut down a part of the city centre, like what exactly will that entail? Let's, for example, say you decided you wanted to shut down, and, and it's capital cities only, it's not, it's not cities in general. Say you wanted to shut down the city centre in Dublin, which would take in what, maybe say from Grafton Street down around College Green, maybe down to O'Connell Bridge, just for argument's sake. What would that entail? Um, it would be take kind of blocking off the roads um, and stopping traffic kind of flowing through it. Um, and we would block it with with people um, who are, for, for some of them will be willing to get arrested um, in order to do that. Some of them. Some of them. Um, I mean, do, do, before you go into the battle, to use that phrase, do some people volunteer that if there's a situation whereby somebody's exposed to the possibility of arrest, they'd put their names forward? Yeah, yeah. There's like the media often tends to cover Extinction Rebellion and kind of like that people get arrested, but. There are people who are designated arrestables. Um, getting arrested is, or being able to be arrested, is kind of a very privileged situation for a lot of people. Like there's there's people in other countries that are doing this that risk their lives by getting arrested. Um, what? But there are people who uh, would be protesting with us who aren't in situations where they can have any sort of blemish on their record. Um, maybe they're kind of trying to get naturalisation citizens. Um, they might be looking to adopt children um, or they might work with children where, you know, if they have to have a, a, a guard check, a background check, then um, that could actually affect their work prospects. So for those people, they can kind of get involved in the other aspects of the, the protest that um, don't require uh, arrest. But like there's a place for, for everybody. Um, there are loads of jobs. In, like that So you... Let me put it this way, what you might call designated arrestables, are these the people who would be on the front line of a protest that perhaps in the event of the law enforcement coming along and needing to move people on, they're at the front line? Is that just in, in broad terms, is that what we're yeah, talking about? Yeah, yeah. Um, are, are you a designated arrestable? I am, yeah, yeah. Have um, you been arrested before? I haven't, no. Um, I'm very new to activism. Um, but I, uh, a few months ago, I glued myself to the Department of Climate Inaction. Um, Climate with, Inaction? Yeah, with, with four other members of um, Extinction Rebellion. And um, on that day, the guards kind of didn't want to arrest us. They said uh, that they weren't going to do our, P, their P, uh, our PR for us. Um, so, but like, I, we, were, we were all prepared to be arrested on that day. Um, but, but this th- this planned protest, Paul, is moving it on a step forward to the extent uh, it's one thing making a high profile uh, demonstration, uh, as you mentioned there at the, at the department. But this will be disrupting business, possibly disrupting tourism, tourists themselves. 
all of that, it, it's taking it on a, a big step forward. It is, yeah, yeah. Um, we're, like, we're, we're trying to make it a party atmosphere as well, a festival-type atmosphere, make it very family-friendly. Like a key part of Extinction Rebellion is that it's a non-violent civil disobedience movement. So violence won't be tolerated. Um, and we'll have people on site who are designated kind of to de-escalate any situations that, that might kind of turn um, uh, violent or have... Uh, the yeah, but it's still hugely disruptive for a large portion yeah, of people. absolutely. And, and like, we don't want to do this. We don't want to be, um, you know, disturbing people's day-to-day business. We don't want to be disturbing, like, the, the, um, the shops and things around the area. Um, are the target of this is the government and kind of the bigger um, destructive corporations that are... Um, destroying our, our environment and destroying the kind of future for our children. Yeah, and we'll come to that. And I, 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 I'd suggest it might be a bit more complicated than that in terms of your various constituencies that um, are opposed to what they would regard a, a, as radical action. Not, I'm talking about civil disobedience, but radical action in terms of tackling climate change. But just before coming on to that, your website, it refers to demands that, you know, you have particular demands about the elimination of carbon, etc. Um Demands are usually something you'd hear from kidnappers. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. But it's 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 they have to be demands because we have very little time left. Like it's not we're not asking now at this stage. Um, the science is extremely bleak, and and we're we're hit by report after report after report about how bleak it is and how fast it's moving. So we have to demand now at this stage. And the three demands are, number one is that the government and the media tell the truth about the climate emergency. Um, we have not been doing that to date. People largely don't know. The people know that there's, you know, the environment is important and that bad things are happening. But they don't know the extent, largely, unless they follow it very closely. But hold on now, there. Frequently, we have, we have reports from um, science bodies, the intergovernmental uh, panel and climate change and various bodies like that which have given us a very bleak uh, forecast of what's out there. These are reported extensively. They're, they're reported but if you think about it like um, the, the other day when the, when the latest IPCC report came out, um, it didn't lead the news. It was, we were still talking about Brexit. Um, we, every time there's a, another report that comes out that tells us we have 10 years or less, that's still at the back end of the news. So when people look to... Is that a reflection, Paul, on... I'm presuming you'd say it's a reflection on media priorities, but is it a reflection on what the media perceives as the priorities of its viewership, its readership, the general public? Which is it like? It's... I I don't know. I don't know. I ask myself that question as well. Um, I don't know. Like, I I don't think that... I don't think people in the media um, are... Like, like, there's a, for a long time, I've, from the reports I've read, they've said that um, media doesn't sell or, or environment doesn't sell. So it doesn't get clicks. It doesn't I think get... that might be uh, out of date now, but uh, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I, ho- I hope so. Um, I think kind of the, 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 that that's changing. Um, and I think the Extinction Rebellion and the student climate strikes are a big part of why that's changing. Um, but 
it is it's it has like re- really when we thought when you think about it you're talking about kind of potentially the end of modern civilization and you would think that that would be the story that would lead the press day after day after day but instead we're talking about other things like brexit we're talking about things that um will increase like 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 people don't understand how how much like there is there is a horrifically dangerous amount of carbon in our atmosphere at the moment we have to get it out as fast as possible and we have to stop putting it in as fast as possible and and people by and large, don't get a, get that. Like I give presentations um, on the climate crisis in, in various kind of business groups, community groups, wherever, and and a lot of people still don't know who the IPCC are. A lot of people still are unaware, completely unaware, and and I think maybe part of that is a reflection of kind of modern society and how we we are in our own kind of bubble, and people get a lot of their their um, uh, news reports from Facebook and such that has an algorithm that's showing them what they think they're interested in. Yeah, but is it, is it also a reflection on, to use that old um, phrase, uh, the pain in my big toe is a lot worse than the war in China. Uh, basically, the, 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 what people consider to be that which affects them most immediately and in the closest proximity is something that they're going to give priority to, whether that be in terms of, of getting their media or how they go about their daily lives, that kind of thing. True. True, but but like we we we've kind of I think we're still in the mindset where we think that like I I work uh, professionally as a graphic designer or communications for a pensions company, and um, the there is a parallel that between pensions where you're trying to get people to actually engage with something that affects Very them good now. But it's going to it, they they think it's not going to actually affect them for twenty or thirty forty years down the line. Um, where climate, the climate crisis is exactly the same. They think that um, it's it's something that's far away from now, but but we have this extremely limited time to make changes. It's what we do right now that will affect the the future that that our kids are going to grow up in. That's an a excellent point, and I mean that that is something, as you said, that certainly at one stage and perhaps still there's a perception that uh, the environment doesn't sell. I think one could say the same thing about pensions. Absolutely. Because, again, it is something that's so far into the future. But, again, the other issue there is getting people to engage. If you want to to extend the, the, the comparison, for example, telling people today that they need to put more money away for their pensions rather than um, buying something that, whether it's consumerism or whether it's what they perceive as their needs or something, that, again, is a similar issue. But just extending that a bit, and, and, and you say about the, the failure of people, of governments, as you put it, in general, to accept what's going on. Take one example, and that is carbon taxes. Now, I'm, you tell me, Extinction Rebellion, what's your position on carbon taxes? Extinction Rebellion doesn't have an official position on, on carbon taxes, but by and large, I think we're against them. Um, really? Yeah, because like, well, like a carbon tax, the, the other two kind of asp- demands that we have um, is that act like it's an emergency and then declare a, a just transition. So the just transition is a big part of like, we have to completely reimagine the way that um, our current society kind of works. And we have to move to a completely different um, way of living. And to do that, a lot of people are going to lose their jobs in um, planet-polluting kind of industries. So, like the board and peat workers, um, and and a lot of farmers who um, 
our farming ruminants animals and and like we we absolutely support farmers like there's there's kind of an opinion out there that sometimes that environmentalists are the enemy of farmers but we absolutely are sensitive to the fact that if the national herd is cut in the way that we probably need to cut it um, that people are going to lose their jobs. So like, we need kind of farmers to be part of the um, environmental debate alongside with us um, and in, in demanding that just transition. And, and the carbon tax could, in, in theory, work if it was set up so that people who would be... Um, who are least responsible, who don't actually, who can least afford to make the transition, are supported. But but I don't particularly trust this government, certainly, to actually set up a carbon tax that will do that. Um, I think at the moment the um, uh, the Joint Eructus Committee are trying to get um, uh, details on like so before. I think there's I think there's a regulation or something that before carbon tax is actually um, put forward. That um, there, there is a carbon tax. It's a question of increasing yeah. it. The, the amount it's going to be increased yeah. by, yeah. And there's supposed to be an assessment of um, people who are in poverty, who will be put in poverty by that. And they're having extreme difficulty getting the information from the, the actual departments involved um, before that's kind of put through. Yeah, and so, I mean, I have to say I'm a bit surprised at that because certainly in terms of this government and it would appear broad in broader terms in Western democracies, the carbon tax is seen as a primary implement of um, reducing carbon on the basis that taxing affects behaviour, and I think that has been shown time and again. And their position is that they would compensate those who are least worst affected, and I can understand scepticism in that regard, but... Uh, one way or the other, that would seem to be a primary instrument that they're in favour of using. Is it like, well, like, you know, it, I, I would be fine personally with the carbon tax because I can probably afford it a bit better than other people. But then when I listen to other people um, within Extinction Rebellion, it, it, they can't afford it. So, um, and, and one of the things with the carbon tax that like, like it, it's, it's something that in theory could work, but it really depends on how it's, it's set up. Because like they say that if so, as the price of carbon rises, your price of your home fuel and heating is going to rise. But the people who can most afford to make the transition to the kind of um, uh, heating systems or, or, or um, you know, electric cars or whatever, um, then they will make those transitions and then they will benefit from the, the um lower carbon tax kind of on the back of that. But the people who can't afford to make those transitions, like I rent um, a house myself and we have an oil tank in the back in the backyard. I'm stuck with that. I can't do anything with it. So like I can't make a transition in that situation. So I'm going to be stuck as this thing goes up and up. And in theory, like maybe I'll get some sort of benefit. But like the, um, uh, the Taoiseach said the other day that there's going to be um, some of the money is going to be ring fenced um, for climate action and then to protect um, the uh, uh, workers. Now, that's great if, if, if it's actually set up to protect them, but, but I'm, I'm sceptical. I'm, and there's this, a serious scepticism um, with with, amongst members. Okay, and carbon taxes, I think there's definitely a case, for instance, in rural Ireland where they say they'd be disproportionately affected in a major way because the, the car is, or the 
one way or the other. Road transport is, the, you know, it's, there, there's no alternative to it. But leave, leave aside carbon taxes. Agriculture, again, you mentioned the herd, and, uh, you know, people do accept that in the long term, there would have to be a reduction in the national herd on the basis of emissions. But what I'm saying is Extinction Rebellion appears to be putting forward the proposition that this transition that the government here and governments in other countries are accepting has to be made, but they want to spread it out, out over a lot of years so that the pain is not immediate and does not hit deepest into vulnerable parts of society. Your approach seems to be that we need to do that now, the pain needs to be suffered now, and as a result there needs to be huge disruption to life as we know it immediately. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and the, the, where we're coming from with that is that's what the science is telling us. If we had started 30 years ago when we knew this was a problem, um, then we could have done the slow, gradual transition. Like it was the oil and gas companies that ca- first came out with the actual reports that said this was going to happen and they buried the reports. But when, when, when I, I accept totally what you're saying about the science, Paul, but one aspect to that is any democratic government that attempts to do what you're suggesting would run into immediate problems to the extent that I'd suggest they wouldn't get elected because the disruption that they're saying would be required is just too enormous for most people to contemplate. Which, which, is, which goes back to kind of the first demand to tell the truth um, because people don't understand just how bad things are. They don't understand and, and or they, they don't want to know about it yet? Well, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't think, like when I talk to people like who, from, from different backgrounds, different perspectives, um, when you explain it to them, they, they get it. But, they, but most people don't, like they just, maybe they don't want to know about it yet, but you have to tell them about it. Um, I, I gave a, a presentation last night in Greystones and someone said that um, they had been um, kind of closing themselves off to it. They had they knew a film, there was a documentary film, um, I think it was one of Leonardo DiCaprio's Before the Flood or something, and they said um, that they were afraid to watch it because they knew what it was going to tell them, so they were putting it off. Um, but eventually they kind of did. They're, like the, There's a big part of this, there's a certain grief that you have to kind of pass through to before you can actually commit to sort of getting involved um, or, or commit to the action. Yeah, and in, in, in the same vein, just from the web, from Extinction Rebellion's own website, and it's an interesting comment, the conventional approaches of voting, lobbying, petitions and protests have failed because powerful political and economic interests prevent change. And I, I think a lot of people would say that's a reasonable statement. However, I think it's also the case, I'd suggest, that it's not just powerful political and economic interests it's the wider population. And if, going back again to the, the principles of democracy, if you're saying, irrespective of what the, the large majority of people feel about this, we're right and it doesn't matter that you're, you're, you're not up with the, the story yet. That's, that's, not, that's, not, um, that's not what we're saying. We're not saying that it's like, we're not calling for some kind of anti-democratic um, but if demanded. it is anti-democratic but well well, so what, what like one of the we have, we have slightly different demands from the XR in the UK um, because in the Extinction Rebellion in the UK have a demand beyond politics and that's set up a citizens assembly and actually um, put them in with the experts we've had a citizens assembly so we've had like the random people drawn from all over the country and the science has been explained to them 
um, they've sat down with experts and they've made recommendations that we've largely ignored. Um, so if you do that, but what they, in the UK what they're calling for is to actually have a citizens' assembly lo- uh, like like oversee the transition so that you have a democratic process where people are actually randomly pulled and they make the laws about what will actually change. Um, like the, so, but, but like the thing, the kind of point I want to make is that if we do this slowly, if we do it slowly, we are going to hit two degrees. Like, like that's, we're going to hit two degrees temperature globally. And the IPCC have told us that at that point, we are in serious danger of setting in motion tipping points that will just take the rest of it out of our hands, that we lose control completely. And we're going to see three, four, five, six, seven, eight after that, that we won't be able to stop it. And, and, and that's destruction for us all. Oh, yeah. And uh, certainly the science says that. It's saying I can accept it. The other thing, though, is, and, and that strikes me, it's the old um, Eamon de Valera dictum, he was credited with it anyway, that uh, the people have no right to be wrong. Now, if the people, as expressed through their democratic rights, are not in favour of a huge disruption that, on, as you said, the, the science perhaps merits that, but if the people are not in favour of it, have they no right to say, sorry, that's not the way we're going to go? That's, that's, a, that's a difficult question. Um, I, I believe that if people understand, really, like I have two young children, and, and, and I think every parent in the country at the moment if they understood the future that their children are facing. Like, go Google um, map of the earth at four degrees. And that's what we're on on um, course for by the end of the century. The whole centre of the planet around the equator is dead. You can't grow food there up to about France. North America is is just like desert. You can't I was, grow food. I was in Ethiopia two years ago, and there are people having to leave particular areas because they can no longer sustain themselves there because they just cannot grow the food yeah. to continue living. So, I mean, there's no question about what you're yeah. saying in that regard. Yeah. So it's, but like, but, but, but if you think about the future that your children are going to be living in and that we're, we're going to see, like I'm still 40 years old. It's like, I'll, I'll, I'll see a lot of this. We're going to see this in the next decades. We've seen it kind of um, accelerating in the past few years already. But when you can't grow food in, in those places when um, people are on the move more and more. Like we've seen what two million refugees from Syria has done to kind of the geopolitic, geopolitics in, in Europe and stuff. When you have like the, the, the lowest estimate of people being um, uh, displaced by 2050 from the World Bank is 50 million people. Um, and that goes up to 150 million, 200 million, depending on, on which reports you're reading. No, uh, and also um, Extinction Rebellion suggests that historical evidence shows that you need 3.5% of the population involved to succeed. Um, and by my calculation, that's roughly around 170,000 people in this country. Um, how are you getting on with drawing people to the cause? People, people are joining all the time. It's uh, like I, I just joined in February and at that time there was kind of a, a small group of um, 20 or so people kind of in the core planning, you know, actions. And just kind of at, since then, there's, there's hundreds of us and there's, there's 3,000 people on our mailing list. I think there's 9,000 people on our Instagram account. Um, what kind of our, age profile? 
Oh, it's a mix. It's a it's it's a serious mix. I don't have exact figures, but like we have, where there's students, there's moms and dads, there's pensioners, there's there's it's everybody. Like we we're open to everybody. And one of the things as well is that we're not kind of this. We're not one of the big parts of Extinction Rebellion is we can't be this judgy movement that say, oh, you're not doing this right, so you're not part of the club, or you're not doing this right. Like, like I'm a uh, um, I'm a meat eater. So and but like I used to eat. If I went to a restaurant, I'd look for a burger or a steak, and then if they didn't have it, I'd go to another restaurant. Um, but because I'm aware now of what that does to the environment or how that contributes to it, I've cut back to chicken one day a week, and then I'm trying to introduce kind of more and more veg and um, eat veg kind of every other day of the week. And it's and it's you know what? It's I used to think this was the worst possible. It's like that'd be horrible. But it's not really that bad. I hope I get to that stage someday because I know it's a lot healthier, <laughs> especially any of us with problems keeping off the weight. But, uh, Paul, the other thing is um, yourself. H- how did you get involved? Have you a history of acti- in activism? I don't. I don't have a history. Um, I, so my, like my involvement would probably would have started way back in, in 2006. My initial kind of awareness of what was going on was when I saw um, Al Gore's film, The in- An Inconvenient Truth. Um, and I was living in Sydney, Australia at the time. I saw it in the cinema and, and I, we arrived to one of the hottest day, um, uh, New Year's days ever in, in Sydney at the time. It was kind of it went over 40 degrees for the first time. And, and kind of I thought at that point, oh, I was completely unaware of this. Now this is out there. Everyone will find out and someone's going to do something about it. Um, but since that film's been released, I think we've put more carbon into the atmosphere than we had in all the time kind of before that. Um, and, and from that point, I read kind of I kept an eye on the newspapers and started reading the stories and seeing the evidence mounting and mounting. And then my daughter was born in 2010 and then my son was born in uh, 2013. And that changed it for me. And, and kind of that made me more concerned about what was going on. Did you, did you have any involvement with more conventional environmental groups prior to Extinction Rebellion? No, no. Um, well, well, I w- so the the big change for me then was in um, last year in October, when the IPCC's um, uh, SR one point five report came out, which that's the one that said we have um, twelve years to turn things around, and kind of I that just freaked me out because like you know my kids are are still small, um, so I was like you know what am I going to do twelve years from now when they're old enough to understand and they kind of look at me and say you know when this report came out what what did you do? Um, so at that point I I looked around and I found um, there's a cool planet experience in in um, Wicklow the climate change museum Powers Court. Um, they were running a two day training program for volunteers to to go and give a presentation so they could go around to businesses and community groups. Um, so I went and did that and like sat in a room with climate scientists who are really scared. Um, and this was trying to get people from like there's a cool planet champion now in, in um, every county around the country. And they're kind of um, there and available to go and give kind of talks and, and let people know what's happening. And then as I kind of started to look for more things to get involved at, and I was a bit kind of cautious going into I went to um, uh, a meeting with for Extinction Rebellion in February. I was a bit cautious going in because I thought these are the guys who get arrested. Um, I had the same sort of um, uh, opinions probably that a lot of the general public have, like kind of maybe they're a bit too radical. But um, then I just kind of realized it's just like a lot of really concerned, lovely people from all over 
putting their heads together, like I said, trying to figure out what to do. Um, and there's no leaders or anything, so it's kind of it's quite empowering when you can bring something to the table and people will listen to you and and you can feel that you can actually contribute. Um, so it's like totally non-hierarchical. So and as, as you mentioned yourself, you, you you have a young family, and like all parents, like all of us, you want the best for them in terms of education, in terms of hopefully them getting jobs, standard of living. I mean, are you prepared for the changes? that they face, just leave aside the environment for a second, but because of the way that, certainly as far as Extinction Rebellion is concerned, we're going to have to change the way we live so radically that there's, it's inevitably going to lead to, for example, a reduction in the standards of living in the developed world. Are, are, you, are you prepared for that? Like it's, it's, it's probably quite difficult. I don't know how many of us have actually fully imagined or... Like I've I've imagined I've imagined the world if we don't make the change, and it's a hell of a lot worse in my mind than the world that if we do make the change, and the world that we do make the change isn't that bad I don't think it's kind of it's it's much more kind of local community based because you're you'd be buying from your local community as opposed to buying from Amazon that's shipping things in from thousands of miles away, you'd be probably giving up a lot of the things the modern sort of bits of plastic and junk that. We, we kind of fill our lives with and that we think we need. But we probably, it's, it's you know, it's we're probably going back to more of the kind of a world that my parents grew up in, which wasn't entirely terrible. Absolutely and, not. And <laughs> some of us kind of nostalgia for that in a lot of ways. But it's completely at odds with the instant convenience world that has developed since and getting people to change. And I'd suggest quite possibly getting younger people in particular to change will be extremely difficult. I, 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 don't, I think young people are far ahead of this um, than the rest of us. In terms of the, the, the disruption even to the lives as they know it now? I, I, I think that they'll be prepared for it. I think, I think so. Um, like there's, I think young people, there's kind of a lot of changes in kind of um, companies and things and um, how they kind of market their sustainability. And there's a lot of kids like making their own clothes and stuff now and kind of um, abandoning the sort of fast fashion um, ideals. Certainly, it's still a massive industry and it's still kind of a, um, we have to go a lot further. But but I think I think when people, it, it really is to me, it's just like if you look at what, if we don't change what we're looking at, war, famine, increased um, uh, um, environmental disasters, and and if we if we do make the change, we're we're left without kind of some of the conveniences that we have kind of you know accepted. Like like the, the, we've got to a point where it's like we we can't imagine another way. But if we start kind of communicating that other way to people, then I think we we can we can get there. Just coming back quickly to. Um the planned protest on Monday week, do you or does anybody in the organisation anticipate any backlash because of the inconvenience or disruption it might be caused? Um, possibly. Um, like, well, I'm sure there will be people, people who will be inconvenienced that will will give out about us. Um, I'd say that's f- for certain. Is it possible it could do damage to the the cause you espouse, particularly in, in the way you espouse this. I, I hope not, but like if you if we look to the UK as the example, because they've already had their their rebellion week, um, concern for the environment went up significantly after um, their their first rebellion week. So the UK then kind of de- de- declared their climate emergency and committed to a twenty fifty um, 
uh, net zero carbon um, goals. So uh, I think there was there's been much more of a push from the general public because of of what Extinction Rebellion did in the UK. So we're we're hoping for kind of a, a similar reaction to it because like we will have I suspect a lot of media coverage will have the opportunity to actually kind of talk to people like we're going to have people coming down to us like I, I think like if we get the festival atmosphere we're planning people it might be an attraction for people to actually come into the city and join us and then we get to have those conversations with people who maybe didn't have the kind of consideration about like just how bad it is or how dire the situation is. Okay, Paul McCormick Cooney, thank you very much for joining us today. Time will tell in regard to that, but as you say, I think time is not on our side in terms of the environment and where we're going with it. That's it for today, folks. I'd like to thank producer Declan Conlon and JJ Vernon on Sound. You can subscribe to us on iTunes or Spotify, and you can let me know what you think at mick.clifford at examiner.ie or on Twitter at at mickcliffe. See you again. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.